figured out. The joy of this time of the, of, well, really for the last year now is you can't go see anybody in a hospital. So tough on everybody involved. So if you'd just be in prayer for Elizabeth and family, I'm sure they would appreciate it as well. Um, not nearly as severe, but be in prayer for Jonathan this week. He is not here to annoy us because they have shipped him to Detroit. <laughs> Yay, Detroit. Which, if you're going to punish somebody, I think Detroit is the place you're supposed to ship them, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we should. He's going to be there for like three weeks, though, so we should... Um, We'll we'll have to we'll we'll get him in the next two weeks because he's gonna be gone for the next few weeks. So, yeah, he'll be bored out of his mind this week because they're supposed they're they're supposed to be set up to run sixty to eighty cars an hour on a, on the production line, but they're doing some brand new conversion on an electric car on a prototype, and so they're only running twenty cars for the whole day. <laughs> so I don't know what you do when you're supposed to run you know eighty an hour for you know eight hours and you're gonna run 20 for the day other than stare at each other but that's jonathan's week so get a bunch of slow people there right? apparently so if you get a chance to tell him send him a message and let him know that you missed him at church today he would greatly appreciate it i am certain <laughs> and we will we'll get pictures taken we'll, we'll set up a, a dedicated chair for him and like we did to daryl at easter so um anything else i'm forgetting going once going twice all right who was the wife of aquila <laughs> it was Priscilla. Now, why do we care? <laughs> I don't know. It's a good question. Why do we care? One, you care because your Bible is not made of tales. It'd be much easier to just say a couple or this guy and his wife, but instead we actually get names, and you actually see them in multiple places, in multiple letters. They're in Rome. They're in Corinth. They're doing different things. The other thing you see, discipleship, people learning, people growing people being taught the way that biblical knowledge is supposed to be passed through families, through people knowing and living in the same area with one another, actually sharing this information. It's helpful. We actually have people doing the work. So always fun to have. Don't say this one out loud. Shh. Make you do a little bit of work during the week. Which Old Testament prophet did Peter quote on the day of Pentecost? I know you know this one. Don't say it out loud. And if you don't know it, well, you can look it up. It's a short answer. Again, reason for the question is the important part. This is an actual fun one. We'll spend a little bit more time on it next week. Last chance on anything that I am forgetting. Going once, going twice. Sold. Uh-oh. Sing. Ah, thank you. Did we set a time? Uh, I've been telling everybody six. Okay, then, we'll, then so it is written, so it shall be done. <laughs> <laughs> May 22nd, thank you, because I forgot this last week and I didn't have it written down. I'll have it written down next week. May 22nd, so that is, what, one, two, three weeks from yesterday, I think. Yeah, three weeks from yesterday. Yep. Six here. We'll be having a nice little concert, right? Yep. So we've got people, music. We're, we're inviting anybody, but if they don't, we'll just celebrate. There you go. So we'll be having a concert that Saturday evening here. Um, I'm fairly certain there'll be snacks involved. More details to come. Sound good? Because you know we can't get together without having snacks. That's not that's that's required. Do what? Yes, I, I thank you. I, see, this is what happens if I don't write things down is they don't exist. That's why this thing goes everywhere I go. It's got to be on the calendar or on the little notepad or else it doesn't actually exist. You think I remember things? No, not in this. Now, now you were in Sunday school this morning. There are like two brain cells and they keep running into each other and knocking themselves unconscious. So. All right. So, yes, the 22nd, six o'clock concert here. Anything else? 
In that case, I will get out of the way so I can save whatever brain cells I have left for later. What a fellowship, what a joy divinely all the everlasting on what a blessedness what a peace of mind leaning all the everlasting on leaning leaning safe and secure from all along
They'll be singing. They'll be singing. They'll be shouting. They'll be shouting. They'll be sorrow. They'll be pain. They'll be weeping. They'll be weeping. They'll be praying. They'll be praying. When our Lord shall come again. Will his coming bring rejoicing, or will it bring tears and pain? Are you ready to receive them when our Lord shall come again? They'll be singing, yeah, they'll be singing, they'll be shouting, they'll be shouting, they'll be sorrowful, they'll be paying, they'll be weeping, they'll be praying, they'll be praying. When our Lord shall come again, will you join in lamentation? For the angels glad refrain. Will you help his people crown him when the Lord shall come again? They'll be singing, they'll be shouting, they'll be shouting. There'll be sorrow, there'll be pain. There'll be weeping, there'll be praying. When our Lord shall come again, work and pray till Jesus calls you. Help to gather in the grave. Then with joy you'll meet the Savior when our Lord shall come again. They'll be singing, they'll be singing, they'll be shouting, they'll be shouting, they'll be sorrow, they'll be pain, they'll be weeping, they'll be weeping, they'll be praying. When our Lord shall come again, when our Lord shall come again. If I don't tell the water bottle to stay, it won't stay put. It rolls around and tries to attack me every week. I don't know why. It just doesn't like me. Alright. Dive right in because I think it was three minutes this morning in Sunday school trying to think of the word accommodation. 
because it was right there, and then I was going to say it, and then it was gone, and then I couldn't think of what it was, and I was trying to describe what the word accommodation meant, and an entire class of people just looked at me like, I have no idea what you're talking about. It was like a bad combination of Wheel of Fortune and charades, just with words, and it didn't make any sense, and then it finally hit me, and I almost ran into the wall. <sighs> so no promises for the rest of the morning <laughs> that anything I will say from this point forward will make sense. So we will trust in the notes and hope that, you know, by the time we get to the end, we have done something. Exodus 19, we have made it, not to the promised land, but to the promised mountain. We will be here for a while, and by a while, I mean the end of the book. Like, we're, we, don't, we don't have to worry about traveling anymore. We will get to be there. This is the beginning of the making of sense for Israel and for us. From this point forward, this is God interacting and dealing with his people directly. Which, if, if you've been reading through your Bible from the beginning, from Genesis, from the Garden, this is what's been longed for. This is what you've been hoping for, is how do we get back to being a people of God where God directly interacts with them, directly dwells among them. The end of Exodus is the beginning of that, and you'll see very quickly how it doesn't, very, doesn't always go very well for Israel, which is why we have to be reminded that Moses is a deliverer. Moses is not the deliverer. He is a prophet. He is not the prophet. And that's kind of the breakdown you'll see the rest of your Old Testament. David is a king. He's a really good king, but he is not the king. You have a high priest who is offering a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins, but it is but is not capable of offering the sacrifice. You have what we call typology, pictures, shadows of the work that Christ will ultimately fulfill. So when in doubt, ask yourself the question, how does this get us from where we are to understanding who Christ is and explaining his work more fully? Now, just like last week, we will read all of this, but in order to save ourselves a little bit of time and me a little bit of voice, we'll just read all of it because it's a big old chunk as we go through it. So rather than read it all and then try to go back through, we'll just go through it as we, we'll read it as we go through it. Sound good? Yes? No? We're all confused? So am I. So <laughs> so let's just dive right in. Verse 1. In the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. That's both encouraging and depressing all at the same time. In the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, they've complained at the Red Sea. They complained at Marah. They complained at Elim. They complained at Meribah. It's been 90 days. It's been, it's been three months. That's, that's it? This is, this is like every three weeks. They've got to lodge a major complaint against God and complain that he should drug them out, drug them out to the desert to kill them and to destroy them. But at the same time, they've also been blessed at the Red Sea by God parting, at Marah by the healing of the waters, at Elim by the giving of the manna and the meat, and at Meribah by God redeeming them and taking the penalty that was due them upon himself. And if you don't remember anything I just read, go back and read the other uh, 18 chapters of Exodus. It will do you good. So we are now at Sinai, or at least the wilderness of Sinai. When they set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness, and there Israel camped in front of the mountain. Dun, dun, dun! What mountain? <laughs> this is why you've got to remember everything that I say. <laughs> 
So start committing it to memory now. Like when you were in school, and you go, is this going to be on the exam? Everything I say could be on the exam. Didn't you hate that guy? Yes. And you're like, no, no, just tell me what's going to be on. I want to write down the important things. Yeah, we, I, actually, I had a church history professor that did that. We thought we were, we were gold because he was going to give us fill-in-the-blank and multiple-choice exams in history, which is typically the easiest thing on the planet. Because if you give me choices, I can usually remember which one's the right one. This jerk. Yeah. Before, before, before editing his list of the 95 theses, Martin Luther originally had what? 96, 97, 98, or 99. <laughs> and I'm sitting there looking at the question going, you know, I remember him vaguely saying that one time in class, like as an offhanded comment. I'm not writing that down. One of my uh, one of my friends at seminary was an interesting character, um, Scott Eichelberger. That's that's just a good name, right? Eichelberger was a retired lieutenant colonel, was a um, was a helicopter pilot in the army, <laughs> and he was sitting there going to seminary now, and he's like, um, Doctor Hogg, this is just not fair. And he's like, Well, those are the questions that separate the A's from the B's. <laughs> What I appreciated about Scott, though, was he actually got the stupid question right and was still complaining that it wasn't fair. I, I appreciated that sense of justice in the world, but alas, Dr. Hogg was not going to give us that one. So anyway, since I do not expect you to remember everything that I say, because as I've said before, I don't remember half of what I say, what mountain, you may ask? Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The reason why it's important we are back here is because, 10 verses later, Come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. If you are Moses, you have been trying to get them back here the entire time. You're eventually going to get to a good land that God has promised you, the land that was promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, the land that Joseph is hoping to return to. But until you get there, you've got to get here. So we finally made it to here. There we go. We got someplace. So Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel. All right, time out. That's kind of a big deal. Moses goes up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. Genesis 4.26, go all the way back to the family line. To Seth, to him was also, also a son was born, and they called his name Enosh. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. This has been the recurring theme throughout Genesis and even into Exodus, is when there is trouble, the people do what? We call out to God. When you saw Abraham have troubles, what does he do? He's supposed to call out to God. When... Um, name which went right out of my head again. Hagar and Ishmael are cast aside and they're out in the desert about to die. What do they do? They call out to God. Joseph, when he's in prison, what does he do? He continues to trust and call out to God. The Israelites, when they're in slavery, what do they do? They call out to God. What is God doing here? He's calling out to Moses. He is going to deliver his message. This is not people calling upon God. This is God directly calling upon and talking to his people. Deuteronomy 18, remember, Moses is a prophet. The Lord your God, this is Moses' reminder, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. 
Listen to that prophet, the one who God will raise up who is like Moses. What makes Moses so special as a prophet? This. He goes up to the mountain to see God, and God does what? That's why you get to the end of Deuteronomy after Moses dies. Since that time, no prophet has arisen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. For all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants and all his land, and all the mighty power for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. See, nobody else has arisen like that as of yet. This is why when you move forward to the New Testament, what Jesus is doing is so important. This is why the Sermon on the Mount makes so much sense. This is why you notice, if you're, um, if you're reading through and you're paying attention, all the things where they're like, nobody speaks like this man speaks. Nobody teaches like this man teaches. Because what is Jesus doing in places like the Sermon on the Mount? Sermon on the Mount is a great example. You have heard that it was said. And what does Jesus quote? He quotes the Old Testament. But I say to you, he now expands upon it. Well, who's got the authority to tell you what God said and then add to it? Only God's got that authority. So what is Jesus proving to the crowds? That he is God. He is the prophet who knows God face to face, the one who has come down to deliver the word, to deliver the message unabashed, unashamed. The way that Moses knows God face to face is the way that Christ is going to explain him. This is why John is talking about, we have seen the glory in John 1 of the only begotten, and that only Christ explains him. Why when Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus that we explain, we teach what? We're teaching what we know and what we have seen. I can't teach you what I haven't seen. I have to show you what I have seen. This is hearkening back to Moses, hearkening back to Christ being the prophet who knows God face to face, who explains him in fulfillment of the longing of Israel. So when we say Moses is a prophet, not the prophet, we're still pointing to something greater. Christ is the prophet. He is the king. He is the high priest. He is the sacrifice. He is the fulfillment of all of these things. So, Moses goes up, the Lord calls to him and says, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. We will borrow from modern news and we will fact check this. That's true. <laughs> Exodus 14, Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you, have, whom you have seen today, you will never see them again. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Remember, that's the, uh, the great scene in the edge of the Red Sea. What are we going to do? You brought us out here to kill us. There's a sea over there. There's Egyptian army over here. We're all going to die. Great job. And Moses crawls out, calls out to God, and God says what? What are you calling me? Walk. See, that's the problem. <laughs> Water, army, where would you like us to walk? <laughs> um, that way. Okay, we're going this way, guys. Here we go. <laughs> Who defeats the Egyptians? God does. Who parts the sea? God does. Who heals the waters? God does. Who provides meat? God does. Who provides bread? God does. Who takes the penalty? God does. Who redeems the people? <laughs> you kind of sensing a recurring theme here? You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Moses remembered this. Fast forward again to Moses' final speech in Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32 is one of those fun little things because it's a song of praise by Moses, but it's a song of praise for judgment, <laughs> which is one of those things that makes you go, what? 
Read Deuteronomy 32. God commands him to write a song of praise so that when Israel sins and falls into idolatry, they will sing this song and be reminded of how stupid they have been. <laughs> God planning ahead. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young, he spreads his wings and caught them. He carried them on his pinions. The Lord alone guided him, and there was no foreign God with him. In other words, what is Moses in that song hearkening back to? This reminder that in Israel's darkest, you were enslaved, you were helpless and incapable of rescuing yourself. What does God do? Now, could you think, I almost gave it away, could you think of a, maybe a New Testament verse that has something similar to that? Maybe something along the lines of something like, oh, when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, he made you alive together with him. But God, being rich in mercy, demonstrated his own love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. That's Ephesians 2, that's Romans 5. Nothing new under the sun. The protection of God, the redemption of God, is not upon a deserving people. It is upon a broken, dead people. That's really good news for us, because what other kind of people are there besides broken ones? <laughs> there is, that's, it, that's it. You're either broken or you're dead. <laughs> Those are your options, right? If you're drawing breath, you are a sinful person. But God, his redemption, his mercy, his work, Israel is covered because of who God is and what he has accomplished, not because of who they are and what they have accomplished. This is why this leads to a worship song for Moses. This is also what should spur your worship in daily life. This is why, excuse me, this is why the reminder of communion this morning there are all sorts of times and seasons in life. There are times when life is really good, and there are times when life is really not so good. There are times when you are working hard, and there are times when you are at rest. There are times when you are teaching, there are times when you are learning, there are times when you are being cared for, and there are times when you're caring for others. But you know what? There's never not a time. Never not a time of worship. Never not a time of honoring God and serving him and who you are and what you are doing. Never. Never. You're here, you're drawing breath, you're here to serve and worship God. And that spurring is done by who he is and what he has done. We are not here because of a greatness of us. We are here because of a greatness of him. We bring sin and destruction to the party. He brings sacrifice and redemption. We don't walk because we're good. We walk because we have been redeemed. We do not disciple because we know more than other people. We disciple because we have been shown the wisdom of God and seek to share it with others. We do not condemn sin in this world because we're better than that. We condemn sin in this world because we know the, the effects and how it destroys and how it crushes. And we have been bought from that and set on a different path. We don't wish to walk there any longer. And if we don't wish to walk any longer there because we know how evil it is, what do we not want for anybody else? The same thing. Everything that we do as Christians should be spurred out of and driven out of a love of God, and that love should be driven out of a knowledge, again, of who he is and what he has done. You've heard me pray, I don't know how many times, to strengthen us so that we would know you, love you, trust you, serve you. Because that's the order this works. When you know who God is and you understand what he has done, you love him all the more and you seek to do what in your daily life? Honor him in who you are. And that goes through every single avenue of life. And look, again, I made mention this the last few weeks. This is going to get worse. You want to have some fun, go, uh, go look up 
oh, where is he now? The names just go right in my head. Somewhere in Canada. You know, it's not a, it's not like it's a big place to find anything, but you can find the videos fairly easily. There's a, um, there's a Polish pastor in Canada. That sounds like the setup to a bad joke, but I promise you that it's not. And the health department keeps coming down because you know what that man has the audacity to do? How dare he? And you know when they always try to show up to do a building inspection? Sunday mornings. So what are the odds? There's people there all week. You know, they're cleaning, they're having meetings, they're doing office work, but they never manage to show up on, like, Tuesday. And they always manage to show up, like, right at Sunday morning, you know, and they always manage to show up during the worship service. Like, they don't show up at 9. They show up, like, right when the service is going on. The reason I tell you, to, you'll look up the videos, you'll enjoy them, because that man doesn't pull any punches. He has seen government oppression uphand with family, and he basically yells at them and throws them out every time they show up. And... <sighs> Yeah, he did. He called them Nazis. <laughs> it's kind of hysterical to see a bunch of armed police officers and one health department worker. And there's a, this little dude's just like, get out of here, you Nazis. Go, go. <laughs> I'm doing a bad Polish-Canadian accent, but that's, that's about what he sounds like. Get out of here. Can you believe these people? It's like, oh, wow. <sighs> He'll be arrested soon, I promise you. Um, there's, a st- there's a story coming out of eastern Canada. We made mention of this a couple weeks ago. Canada is turning into China very quickly. The, uh, the blog posting from the church is, we lost the building, but we saved the church. Their building's been confiscated. They don't get to meet there anymore. Because they had the audacity to do what? Have church. They've had the audacity to do what we've been doing the entire time. We're blessed. Don't be surprised if that doesn't last forever. Which means we will be put in the same position that every other Christian has been put in throughout the ages. The, the same position that the Israelites were placed in by Moses. Hey! Choose life. The same position they were put in after Joshua. Choose for yourselves this day. The same place they were put in by the prophets. Hey, turn to God with your heart. Make sure you have settled who you are, what you believe, why you believe it, and what you will do in light of that. Because there is always going to come a time when the world will make you choose. There is a time for peace and there is a time for war. We don't always get to choose what. Look, as long as it depends on us, we do what? Peace. But when it is time for something else, what do we do then? We honor God and serve him in righteousness. So, now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Why will they be that? Who will ensure it? God will. Nothing new under the sun. This is quoted in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter telling the church, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This doesn't happen in any other walk of life. This doesn't even happen in sports. You know, we always make a big deal out of sports. Like, look at all these people from all these different backgrounds, and they're all... It doesn't work. Half the time you go into a locker room, you know what you'll find? The people from that background are over there, and the people from that background are over there, and the people from that background are over there, and they play on the same team, but at the end of the day, most of the time, they don't even like each other. In Christ church, the people that God is building, you have rich, you have poor, you have athletically gifted, you have athletically not gifted, you have people who are intellectually gifted, you have people who can just barely make it through. You have people that think for a living, people that work for a living. 
you have lighter skin, you have darker skin, you have different languages, you have all sorts of things, and you have yet one people of God. That is the work that the Holy Spirit does. That is the redeeming, reconciling work that only Christ accomplishes. Why do we not have peace in the world? Because we hate each other. Why do we hate each other? Because we're sinful people and I don't like you. Why not? Because you're you and you're not me. I had a friend of mine in seminary who used to put this beautifully. The perfect world in his mind, and I, this, was, this is actually a really nice way to say it. The perfect world is everyone like, is just like me, just a little bit dumber. <laughs> they like what I like. They watch what I watch. They don't like what I don't like. But I'm the smartest one, so they all think who's the most important? Me! That's that the perfect world. And I'm like, wow, you just described pride and sinful idolatry to a T. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, and again, there, but there's part of the wisdom of age. I mean, at the time, that was, oh my goodness, seminary for me was, what year is it? 15 years ago. And Gene at the time was 10 years older than I am now. So sometimes it's the wisdom of age. You know, he was doing college again for the second time. My, my two friends in seminary were both in their 50s. I don't know if that makes me dumb or smart or wise or unlikable or what, but <laughs> there you go. What are the odds? So that's the brokenness of the world is we divide and we separate. Over what? Over what? We, um, Cameron and I, years ago, we were working with a, a church planner in Philadelphia, driving around trying to find the next place to go for this meeting, listening to Philadelphia Sports Talk Radio. That's an interesting place to be. Remember that it's Philadelphia fans that cheered Michael Irvin breaking his neck. When a Dallas Cowboys receiver fell on the field and broke his neck, the Philadelphia Eagles fans cheered. They're an interesting bunch. The reason why that was an interesting day, and I always remember this, is because as we're driving around, I don't remember if it was the Braves who were in town for a game or the Nationals, but somebody was playing in Philadelphia, and a fight had broken out, and they had thrown heavy objects and some various bodily fluids at the fans of the other team. I kid you not, we listened to 20 minutes of phone calls to the sports radio station telling P, telling the sports talk guy how that was a good thing and what did they think was going to happen to him wearing Atlanta Braves gear at the Philadelphia Stadium. That doesn't even make sense unless you realize how much sin corrupts people. The mindset of, you came into Philly wearing Braves gear. What did you think was going to happen to you? <laughs> I thought I was going to go to a baseball game and cheer and go home and we would all be decent human beings. No. <laughs> Probably not in Philadelphia. The church planner even told me it's the city of brotherly shove. But this has happened in California as well. I mean, it's what about it's every three or four years that you go to Dodger Stadium and a Giants fan or a or a Padres fan will get assaulted. Or a couple of years ago, a couple of Giants fans were shot and killed outside of Dodger Stadium. I mean, think about that. It's a sports team that you don't even play for. You don't even know anybody on the team, and they're all going to be different in five years anyway. Fighting and killing each other, this is what the world brings. This is the division that they bring. We will divide to the point that if you wear the wrong color, I don't like you anymore. But in Christ, I don't care what you wear. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you came from. I care what? Do you love God and walk in his ways? That's the unity and peace that only Christ brings. That's the, that's the cure for a broken world. This is why it matters that we stand firm. Because when the world comes to make war, 
The solution is not taking up arms, although I'm listening. The solution is to take up swords as they are given by God. Because what changes the hearts and minds of men? The Holy Spirit. What does he do that with? The words preached concerning Christ. Our weapons and our war are against spiritual problems, spiritual forces, and they require spiritual solutions. By the way, this being carried forward into the New Testament, this being carried forward to today, this being carried forward into the kingdom, is a fulfillment of the prophetic words that God gave. Jeremiah 31. Days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is what Paul is getting on about in Romans 1. Since the creation, the attributes of God have been on display so that they are without excuse. Did anybody ever really need to tell you when you were doing something wrong? I mean, even when you were a kid. They didn't have to tell you it was wrong. They just had to tell you you got caught. (laughs) You knew it was wrong when you did it. That's why you did this first. That's why if you had siblings, you hired one of them as what? The lookout. You always bribe one to be the lookout. See, I was an only child. I didn't have these options. I had to be really extra sneaky. <laughs> it's not a good thing, by the way. Why? Why'd you hire the lookout? Because you knew it was wrong, and you knew you're not supposed to be doing it. And you did what anyway? You did it anyway. You know, the law is there. You know it is right. You know it is wrong. But you don't know how to walk in it. This is, again, why it's so important, the work that we do as Christians, the work that we do as faithful disciples. Because we proclaim, hey, that thing you know is wrong, I can tell you why. And I can tell you what's wrong with it, and I can do even one better. I can tell you how to make it right. I can tell you how to get off of that road and get onto the right road. This is the work that God is doing. So Moses came, verse 7, to the Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. All right, time to make some sense. You ready for fun history lessons? Vern always likes this part. (laughs) Hairball, got stuck there. The Israelites would have recognized this. Moses recognized this. In the ancient world, we called this a suzerain treaty. You're going, oh, exactly. All right, you ready? Suzerainty is a relationship in which one state or other polity controls the foreign policy and relations of a tributary state. That made perfect sense to everybody, right? Exactly. So a suzerain relationship would be, say, actually, you do understand this. Think of it like a protectorate. So in a suzerain relationship in the modern world, the closest thing I can come up with off the top of my head would be like the United States and Puerto Rico. It's not a state. It's a territory. Who protects Puerto Rico? We do. But do we, do, but do we, do we elect their governors? Do we elect their legislators? No, no. They don't get a full say. They get to kind of run their own business over there. We do the same thing with Guam. We do this probably with a few others. Don't we have like American Samoa out someplace? Do the same thing. They elect their own people. They run their own business. But at the end of the day, who are they responsible to? There you go. 
So one state controls the foreign policy and relations of the tributary state while allowing the tributary state to have internal autonomy. The dominant state is called a suzerain. Suzerainty differs from sovereignty in that the tributary state is technically independent but enjoys only limited self-rule. So the Puerto Rico thing isn't an exact explanation, but it's, it's as close as I can come up with in the modern world. If you are better in your geopolitical explanations, then by all means, help me out. Now, that relationship and understanding that coming down from the mountain helps explain the calls you get in the Old Testament. Did Moses demand the Israelites worship and follow after God? Read Deuteronomy. I'm sure he would have liked to, but most of his terminology is what? It's pleading. It's almost begging. Crying out to the Israelites, please go in a different direction. What's Joshua's call at the end of the book of Joshua before he dies? Hey, make a decision. You can serve the gods you serve beyond the river, or you can serve the Lord. But as for me and my house, but what's he hoping they'll do? They're hoping they'll, he'll follow after him. What are the prophets of Israel doing? The same thing. Guys, you're, this is the wrong way. You follow after God. You're following the wrong thing. You're following the broken thing. Look, judgment is coming, but look, we can follow rightly. Now, go to the New Testament. What was John the Baptist doing? Calling people to a repentance, a return to God. Going out there, beating people upside the head and dragging them to the river to be baptized, right? No. So there are days you might want to do that, but he's doing what? Pleading, calling with them. What was Jesus doing in the Sermon on the Mount to the crowds? Same teaching, giving them the authority, explaining how it's supposed to work, and then, and then calling them to what? Calling them to follow. Paul, Peter, James, in your New Testament, what are they doing? Calling people to follow. Now, why is that important? This will help you make sense of your world. Remember the now, not yet of salvation. You are saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. So, right now, in the court of God, are you guilty or not guilty in Christ? No, no, no. In the court of God, in Christ, are you guilty or not guilty? You are not guilty. Make sure, let's make sure we get all the prepositional phrases in there properly. So you are not guilty. Are you sinless? No. But in sin, you are supposed to be what? You're supposed to be guilty, but in Christ you are, you are forgiven. You are not guilty. But you're not perfect. But you have been declared as though you are, which means you have been promised that you will one day be what? You are saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. So you are declared saved by God. You are in the process of working out your salvation in fear and trembling on the knowledge that one day will come what? the abolition of all sin and all corruption and all that good stuff gone away, or all that bad stuff gone away is actually the better way to phrase that. Now, this matters because if I take Christ away from you in this world, what will you choose? <laughs> you will choose sin. So when I take Christ away from the rest of the world, the pagan world, because they don't have Christ, what will they choose? Exactly. This is the relationship that God has established with humanity. Is God in charge of things? Yes. God has left people to their devices, and in their natural states, what do they choose? Sin. What changes that? Christ. 
This is why I can laughingly celebrate the Polish pastor in Canada. Because there reaches a point where you have asked them nicely and they have said, no, we don't want to be nice to you. What do you do then? You draw a line in the stand and dare him to cross it, I guess, because that's what he's gone after. I don't really fault the man. In your natural state, you will choose sin. You will choose corruption. I didn't say you will always choose evil and you will only choose evil all the time. Again, that's something I've joked about on Wednesday. There's a theological joke. It's not really a joke, but it's a, a way to keep this into your mind, that while humanity is depraved, as in lost in sin, they are not utterly sinful. Even Hitler didn't kill his own mother. Which means even for the, even for the evilest of the evil, there's a, there's a line somewhere, right? That's part of you know just being the image of God. Apart from Christ, our nature is sin. In Christ, our nature is transformed and strengthened so that we can actually walk in faithfulness. So when you look at the world around you, don't look at them and be like, why aren't you people doing any better? It's, they can't do any better. Which means, what do they need? They need my prayers, they need my patience, and they need my proclamation. Look at that, three, three Ps in a row, look at that. I'm a good Baptist today, I am, I am. Why do they need that proclamation though? Because again, what changes the hearts and minds of men? Holy Spirit does, and what does he use? He uses the word preached, the words of Christ proclaimed. Without that, there is no hope. So when we go out into the world and we proclaim something other than Christ, are we, bearing, are we bringing the weapon that changes hearts and minds? No. This is why, look, you find a good politician, support him. Just don't put your hope in him. Because he can't change people's hearts, and he can't change people's minds. And most of the time, he can't even change people's laws. <laughs> Unless you don't like them. Those laws will get changed. But we better get off a soapbox before I get too, too firmly planted there. They can't. We fight the culture war on the culture's terms and we're going to lose. The trick to fighting the war against the world is to fight it standing on the principles that God has given. Who is he? What has he done? And how do we live in light of it? Meaning that's not bad because it's illegal. That's bad because it's a violation of God's command. See the difference between those two statements? That shouldn't be illegal because I don't like it. That should be a crime because it's a violation of humanity's dictates from God, what God proclaims as good and right. And if you make it legal, that still won't make it right. There's the difference. And so even though you've made it legal, I'm not going to sit here and argue with you over that anymore. I'm going to still sit here and argue over where, where I've always argued. What is right? What is good what does god declare what does god decree because to walk in anything else is to walk in the lesser thing apply this to whatever issue you can come up with if you can't stand on a moral foundation built on who god is and what he has commanded then you are standing someplace that the pagan world goes we like when you stand there because you have nothing under your feet and you're just as lost as they are but when we are planted firmly on the foundation that Christ has given in his word, we are on the unshakable foundation that will always stand. So, verse 8. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. So in other words, Israel said what? We're in. All right. You command, we follow, we are good. You often wonder, did they think about that for a minute? Question, should they have? <laughs> Jesus, the large crowds were going along with him, and he turned to them and said, If anyone comes after me, 
and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and wasn't able to finish. Jesus tells you what? What will this cost you? What will discipleship and following after Christ cost you? Everything. So when you sign up, make sure you did what? Don't treat it like your phone. You know when they send you that, you buy a new phone or you get a new cell phone plan and they send you that thing? Like, here's your updated terms and conditions. And you go, okay, whatever. You throw it away because it's 18 pages of print this big and nobody has ever read that in human history. They're like, they could, they could... They could be telling us, hey, in order to use this phone, you'll have to sacrifice a dog on the, on the new moon every year. And we'd be like, all right, whatever. Where's your sacrifice? What sacrifice? Jesus tells you what? Read the fine print. All of it. You love that woman more than me? You're in the wrong spot. You love that man more than me? You're in the wrong spot. You love that job more than me? You're in the wrong spot. You love that kid more than me? You're in the wrong spot. Israel was commanded not to intermarry with the nations around them because God knew and God warned them that when you do that, you will compromise who you are and what you believe in order to satisfy that pagan spouse. That was the reason they were told not to do it. It's the reason they were told to wipe them all out. You can't be tempted to intermarry with the cute girls of the pagans if there aren't any pagans because you killed them all. That was the reason why Joshua was commanded to wipe out everything. Not a thing has changed. You want to see the fastest way to get somebody to compromise? Have someone they love in their family do something that goes against their principles. And you will see compromise very, very quickly. Because if we are not prepared to tell the people that we love the most what they're doing is wrong, we're not going to be able to tell anybody. And soon we'll be telling ourselves, well, you know, it's not really that wrong. You laugh. For years, I've had this argument with folks. The hardest people to evangelize is your own family. Who should be the easiest people to talk to things about, though? See, that's a brokenness in human relationships that we have got to fix, though. Christian, where, what do I always, where's your first ministry? At home. Starts with who? And then moves to what? The people in my house and the people that are connected. Because if I can't do it here, then I can't do it with my spouse or with my siblings, or with my children. And if I can't do it with them, then when I walk out into the world and the world goes, oh, so you want to go to church? You guys want to have church every week? Yeah. All of them? Yeah, why? No reason. How easy does it become? If I go along to get along here, and then I go along to get along here, and I go along to get along here, then when the world comes along and starts asking, what have, what have I already set myself up to do? I'm already down the hill. It's, the old, it's a Bugs Bunny joke. You start to snowball at the top of the hill, and what happens at the bottom? It's made, made destroying houses and small children and pets and everything at the bottom. And it was what? A little snowball at the top of the hill. That's what happens in Christian living when we go out into the world. If we are not there we go, anchored. Because if we don't do it, there's little draws here and there. This is why you check yourself. 
every day. This is why you spend time reading your Bible. This is why you spend time in prayer. Because if you can stop the drift here, then I am actually prepared to help stop the drift everywhere else. But if I'm washing back and forth, who am I rescuing? That's why I go on the airline. Before helping your child with their oxygen mask, what should you do? What is every, every, every flight you've ever been on, please adjust your oxygen mask before helping your child with his. Why? Because if I don't do mine and I spend all my time putting yours on, what just happened? Yeah, you see, thank, thank my son with the snow shovel to the face. You suffocated. <laughs> and here's the other thing. As I'm suffocating and not breathing properly, am I putting your mask on right? No, so I've killed me and I've killed you. Whereas if I had been an adult who was responsible for five seconds and gone, now I can do what? Oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> Simple, basic, easy. The world understands this because it's a principle of wisdom. Where does wisdom come from again? God. And all good wisdom is based upon him. This is what we must do. We've got to take care of what's going on because if I'm not firm, I can't rescue you. If we're out in the ocean, we're both just bobbing around in a cushion, can I stop you from floating in the current? No, because what am I doing? I've got to find an anchor. Once I find the anchor, now we've got something. This is what Christ is warning you about. If you allow anything else to step between you and God, you are taking the anchor, cutting it, and there you go. That's why he says, if anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, does that mean you should hate the people you're supposed to love? No. But by comparison, your love for God should make your love of spouse look like hatred. It just should. It just should. Because you cannot allow anything in a marriage, in a relationship with parents, in a relationship with children, in a relationship with siblings, to get in between who you are with God. If that relationship is severed, if that relationship is broken, everything else is lost. It's lost. And that's why Jesus tells you to count the cost. Understand what you're doing. When you are in, you're supposed to be in. We're not getting back out of here. So the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe in you forever. And then Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. As earlier, God is, con uh, God is confirming Moses before the people. This will be the recurring theme here. The Lord also said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash the garments. No. There we go. Okay. I apologize. That thing hasn't done that in months. Uh, I'll have to order one. Here we go. I'll just stand like this the rest of the day. Sermons by Quick Draw McGraw. <laughs> uh, you gotta love it. The Lord also said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. This is not new. 
I moved. Sorry, my fault. Oh, look at that. It's a miracle, right? Now I'm just attached to the podium and I can't move. What could go wrong with me having to stand still, right? <laughs> you know the saddest part? I've gotten a lot better about how much I move around. I used to be worse than this. So, yeah. I used to walk while praying. So, anyway. Where were we? The people are to be consecrated today and tomorrow because the Lord is coming down on the third day. This is nothing new in Exodus. Go back to Exodus 3 when God called Moses. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. He said, here I am. And he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals for, from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Why? Is Israel holy? <laughs> I mean, the entirety of Exodus has kind of proven that they are not holy, right? Christian, are you holy? Before God's court, you are. It's supposed to be an outward symbol of an inward reality. Israel is not perfect, but be, in order to be God's people, they have been cleansed. They are washed. They are holy. They may not live like it, but that's what they are supposed to be. This is why we care how we walk and how we live. This is why everything else I've been telling you is important. You are supposed to be manifesting in your life, not like some weird you know, description that the prosperity people on TV tell you to manifest things, but I mean actual living out of things. You are supposed to be demonstrating what God has done for you. You are different. You are holy before God in Christ. You are called. You are strengthened. You are set to work. Therefore, you should be walking and working in a certain way because... That is now who you are in him. You'll see this in Revelation. Go to the end of the book. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. What separated the two? Those whose robes have been washed. What were the robes washed in earlier in the book? The blood of the lamb. The only thing that separated the holy from the unholy was the work of Christ. Not who they were, not where they came from, not how they walked, but God. When we talk about sanctification, when we encourage you to be a disciple, to be strengthening your walk, to be walking in holiness, we're not doing this so that you will be saved. We're telling you to do this so that because you are saved. And you are seeking to honor God in who you are, what you do, and demonstrate to a world around you that there is a better way than whatever it is that's going on out there day in and day out. That there is something higher to be aimed for, there is something better to be lived for, and there is a nicer, cleaner path that can be walked because it honors God and actually answers the questions as to who humanity is and what is wrong with them.
That's why we care about who we are and what we do. So, <clears throat> you shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Beware that you do not go up on the mountain, or touch it, or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall, shall if I could speak, whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. You say, shall surely be. Go ahead, I'll wait. <laughs> no hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. Why can't they go up to the mountain? Holy God. How holy is God? Why were the lepers of the New Testament warned and have to declare that they were unclean when they were in a crowd? Because to even touch a leper made you unclean. Mark 1. A leper came to Jesus and imploring him, falling on his knees before him, saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Is that true? Yes. What does Jesus have to do to cure the leper? He's just got to say the word. Jesus just has to say the word. What's the, how, did, how does creation work? And God said, and it was. All Jesus has to do is say the word and the leper is healed, right? Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him and was cleansed. Did Jesus have to touch him? No. Why touch him? Because nobody else can touch the leper, they'll be unclean. Is Jesus unclean when he touches the leper? No. Not only is Jesus not unclean, what is the leper? He's clean. Sin, iniquity, corruption, flees at the presence of God. This is why sinners don't stand in the presence of God. His holiness would do what to them? Think, think Nazis at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark again. Just, just melt it away. In order for God, in order for you to stand before God and all your sin be removed as you are, what would be removed? Everything. This is why you have to be cleansed in Christ. This is why they can stand. This is, this is that great declaration in, in Revelation when the judgment of God comes upon sin and all the people of the earth are going, who can stand in the face of the wrath of the Lamb? And then you immediately see the scene in heaven. And what's standing? Or who is standing? Those whose robes have been washed. Those who have been cleansed. Those who Christ has cleaned are now holy and righteous and standing before God. They're not being fried. They're not being judged. They are being held up worshiping God and honoring him. This is why they're driven away. They're making a point about who God is, what he is, and what the people are not. Now, this should drive you to do what? Call out to him. Trust in him. Ask for the deliverer that has not come. Moses got us out of Egypt, but what do we need now? We need somebody to get sin out of us, and Moses can't do that. We've proven that much, haven't we? The brokenness of humanity, though, is in the face of this. What do we do? We double down on who we are, what we think we can accomplish, and all that we want to do. This is also, Christian, why we rejoice the way that we do. Go to Hebrews 12. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, into a blazing fire, into a darkness of gloom and whirlwind, to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, which sound, which sound was such that those who begged that no further word be spoken to them. They could not bear the command. If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, 
to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. That's why we rejoice. They're standing at a mountain in fear because a holy God is coming down, and what do they know about themselves? As Isaiah would say, Woe to me, for I am an unclean man, and I live amongst an unclean people. When we come to Christ, are we afraid? No, because we've received mercy. When we come to Christ, are we worried? No, because his grace and his mercy covers. His sacrifice is good, and his love endures. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. He said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. See, I always knew they were a problem. (laughs) Read Leviticus 15 if you want to make sense of that. I put that in your notes. It's not the women that make them unclean. It's what goes on between them and the women. So you're adults. You could figure that all out. So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were, call, who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and its, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. The whole mountain quaked violently. And when the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. That's just about as cool as anything you're going to read, isn't it? I mean, of all the things like you want to experience and you don't want to experience at the same time, I think that's on the list. Like, I want to see that, but at the same time, I don't want to see that. (laughs) And by the way, when God answers with thunder, you're talking about a voice that's understood. Psalm 81. I relieved his shoulder of the burden. Talking about Moses. His hands were freed from the basket. You called in trouble and I rescued you. I I answered you in the hiding place of thunder. I proved you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you, O Israel, if you would listen to me. Let there be no strange God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I am the Lord, and I am your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. In other words, when Israel has need, who will meet it? God. When Israel has trouble, who will overcome it? God. When Israel has enemy, who will defeat it? Christian, nothing's changed. This is why we are to pray according to our needs. Pray in accordance with God's will. Because what's his will for our lives? As 1 Thessalonians tells you, sanctification. To walk in holiness. To be more like him. To be transformed day by day into the image of Christ, the firstborn among the brethren. That's who we are to be. And when we walk in accordance with that, we are walking faithfully with God. Our needs are met. Our enemies are defeated and our troubles are conquered. Hey, life's pretty good. Will it be easy? Not always. Will it be fun? Probably not but it will be accomplished. So the Lord came down in Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called to Moses to the top, called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, go down and warn the people so that they do not break through to the Lord to, to gaze, and many of them perish. I love that because there's no need to tell them that. Exodus 20 will tell you. This, then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. Listen. But let not God speak to us or we will die. (laughs) Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, and in order that the fear of him may remain with you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. Tell them not to come up. Don't come up. And everybody went. Didn't have to tell us twice. We're good. 
Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, or else the Lord will break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to, the, to, come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds about the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, Go down and come up again, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, or he will break forth among them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. For once we get faithfulness. We actually get everybody doing what they're supposed to do. Consecrate yourselves, and everybody did what? Consecrated themselves. Set borders, and everybody did what? Set borders. Stay down there, and everybody did what? For once, we can actually echo Genesis 1. God spoke, and it was. This is how it's supposed to be for his people. Why? Because they love him, and they honor him, and they respect him. Now, does this people also fear God? Yes. Should they? Yes. Yes, they should. The beginning of wisdom to fear the Lord. But we do not tremble in his presence in Christ. The fear of the Lord is a fear of judgment. It is a fear of retribution for a wrong against him. Yeah, I can't move. Hang on. Christ has undone that judgment for us. Christ has taken away the reproach so that we no longer stand looking at God, looking at a judge, but we stand looking at God and seeing a deliverer, a father, a helper, a provider, all the goodness, all the blessing, none of the anger, none of the cursing. What humanity was supposed to be with God is delivered in Christ, which is why we can say they're finally getting it right, and it was. Now, warning for Exodus you just know they're not going to get it right for very long, don't you? <laughs> Christian, this is the other reason why I say your worship is spurred by the knowledge of who God is. When do we pray the hardest? When we're in the biggest trouble. When do we worship the most? And when we understand how good God has been to us. Christian, remind yourself of that every day. Don't wait for the world to step on you. Don't wait for the discipline of God to bring you low. Remind yourself daily who he is and what God has done. The reminders of the blessings that he has given over days, weeks, months, years, if he has granted you that mercy. Because that changes your worship. And I don't just mean what we do on a Sunday morning. I mean how you live how you think of how you relate to the world, how you think about how you relate to the people that are around you, how you think about what you do with your day and how you honor him in each and every minute. That is your worship. That is who you are before God. And it is spurred by knowing who you are before God. Know what he has done. Understand the great mercies that Christ has given. Understand the cleansing and the sacrifice that Christ has accomplished. And realize that it's not because of us that we stand, it's because of him. Which means I have responsibility. I have a desire to serve the God who I love because he has saved me. And let that be the thing that guides. Let's pray. <laughs> Again, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the mercies that you provide each day, for the blessings that we are given that we can gather as your people, proclaiming your word, celebrating your great work. We ask, Lord, that you would strengthen us, that that would continue, that we would continue to be your holy people, cleansed by Christ, spurred by the Spirit, grounded in you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.
Lord of Lord, bright morning star, throughout all eternity, I'm going to praise Him, and forevermore, I will reign. Just reminders, if you'd be in prayer for Elizabeth's daughter, Christina, and Mike and Jan's uh, granddaughter, Olivia. And just in case anybody noticed, Clark's okay. He just had somebody he had to meet, so he had to take off a little early. I saw him sneaking out, and I made sure he's, he made a point to stop and tell, tell, uh, say something to Cameron. So he's all right. That was my first question. Is Clark okay? She said, yeah, he had an appointment. So everything is good. Oh, thank you. See, that? glad somebody around here has got a brain today. Um uh, benevolent fund first uh, first Sunday of the month. So if you can contribute to the to the benevolent fund, thank you in advance. We just ask that you use those big envelopes marked with the giant B on them. So we would appreciate that. Let's pray again, Lord. As we leave this place, we ask that you would strengthen us, ground us in your word, that we would know what you have proclaimed, that we would know how to walk rightly, and that we would rejoice in the great work that you have accomplished, worshiping each and every day. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen.